Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh Pollard. I'm the adult ministries pastor here at Renovation Church, and I want to take you on a trip. So let's go on a trip together back to the year 2005, early June, Saturday night, nice and warm out. It's my senior prom. I remember it like it was yesterday, don't you? Yes, you remember my prom? Okay, that's weird. Uh, you'll remember then that it was under the sea themed and that I wanted to go with this girl, Daniela, but I just went with some friends. And turns out, Daniela also just went with some friends. Ah, so I've got a chance. That is, of course, until my friend, Steve, comes up to me and he's like, hey, Josh, during the last song, I want to dance with Daniela. So can you take my date and dance with her so I can make my move? Yeah, sure, I said with the words of my mouth. In the words of my brain, I won't repeat. So I sat and I waited for an opportunity. And pretty soon, the DJ comes on and he says, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be our last dance of the night. And a moment like this by Kelly Clarkson comes on, and I had strategically positioned myself near Daniela so she would turn around and she would see me. And then she saw me, she raised up her hands to dance, and I looked over at Steve, and he looks at me, and I betrayed him so fast and started dancing. <laughs> So fast. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. I didn't talk to Steve much after that. You know? In fact, I don't even remember if his name was really Steve. It could have been Mike. I don't know. Who cares? I won. Today, we're going to talk about another betrayal, one that's much more serious, has much more sinister consequences, and it's the betrayal of the Son of God by a man named Judas Iscariot. And uh, that's where we're going to find ourselves today. So before we get into that, will you please pray with me? Uh, Father, we come here today uh, to praise you, to glorify you, to worship you, uh, to hear your word. Um, I ask for mercy as I try to preach it and speak it to these people, that you would speak through me, uh, that your truth would stand at the end of this. I pray that you would pierce our hearts deeply with you, the truth of your word uh, to convict us of our sins. I am a sinful man, so speaking about Judas is a bit scary, but I trust you, Lord. And I ask that you would speak through me, despite me, so that your truth can stand and that so you are glorified. We praise your name. Amen. All right, so go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, we have Bibles under the chairs in front of you. We're going to be on page 719 if you're going to use one of those Bibles. This week, we're getting back into our study of the book of Luke. And Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life and the teachings and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been in this on-again, off-again series on the book of Luke as a church for about three years, actually. And we left off in chapter 21, where Jesus was pointing out the generosity of the poor widow. Uh, and following that, it's actually this long section of Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple and the end times. And Pastor David did a whole series called The End of the World uh, not too long ago, and you can actually see that on our website. And we generally will skip past verses that we just thought through, so that puts us on today, Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 6, which again is on page 719. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that one with you that's under the chair. That can be your Bible now. So we're going to read at the big 22, chapter 22, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple, uh, the temple guards, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented 
and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. 22, 1 to 6. So I think that when people hear this story of Judas betraying Christ, the first question they have is, why, Judas, why? You fool, why would you do such a stupid thing? And I think that there are three answers to that question. And we're going to go through those three. The first reason that Judas betrayed Jesus was because Judas was a sinner. It was the sin of Judas. A lot of people try and unravel these personal motivations of what was going on in Judas's mind when he betrayed Christ. You know, some scholars think that he was just uh, unsatisfied with Christ as the Messiah. You know, it says that this happened during the Passover, which the Passover is this big celebration where everyone comes to Jerusalem to remember how God destroyed the Egyptians to get Israel out of slavery. But now they have to celebrate that memory under the thumb of Roman rule, which isn't great. You know, it's this hotbed of possibility for revolution, for rebellious activity. And Judas is walking up the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, and he sees the city, and he's expecting, oh, now's the time. This is going to be it. But does Jesus free the city of Jerusalem from Rome? No. It says in Luke 19 that Jesus wept for the city instead. So maybe Judas is saying, what is going on here? Where is the king I left everything for? Where is the destruction and the freedom and the glorious rebellion? What a waste of time this has been. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe his motivation was something else. Maybe it was fear. You know, everyone knows the religious leaders want this guy dead. Jesus himself has been saying, I'm going to die. He's predicted it three times already in the book of Luke. He keeps telling the disciples, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. So maybe Judas is just afraid, and he wants to get out in front of this thing a little bit and curry some favor with these religious rulers, make a few bucks, and just maybe get out of this thing alive. So maybe it was fear. Or maybe it was just greed. You know, John tells us, the book of John tells us that Judas was a thief in John chapter 12. It says he didn't care about poor people. He was the keeper of the money bag for the group, but he was just help himself, whatever he wanted from the money bag. He was a thief. So maybe he saw an opportunity to make a few bucks and he took it. So maybe it was just greed. And I think that we can speculate and work some clues out of the text all day long to figure out what was going on in Judas's head. But I think foundationally, ultimately, it comes down to one thing. It's that Judas was a sinner, that his heart was filled with sin. He was bent away from God, from Christ, and everything inside of himself, just like we were. We think, what a terrible, horrible thing to have done, but there's really not much reason we wouldn't have done the same thing if we were in his shoes. Judas was a sinner, and that's one of the reasons he betrayed Christ. The second reason is the enticement of Satan. The last time that we saw Satan working in the book of Luke was back in chapter 4 when Satan was testing Jesus in the wilderness. And he was just promising all these great things to Jesus if Jesus would just do what he said. But every time, Jesus would rebuke him with Scripture. And he would quote Scripture and resist. And eventually, Satan gives up and it says he leaves him until an opportune time. And Luke 22 Right here today is that opportune time. It's the next time we see Satan active in the book of Luke. So we read that Satan entered Judas 
That's a big statement. It's kind of scary sounding. And I think that a lot of times we imagine that Satan just forces his way into Judas's life, and Judas is now this puppet that just does everything Satan says, and Judas doesn't contribute anything to what's going on, really, because Satan forced his way in. But I don't think that's a good interpretation. I don't think that's how it works. I think it's more like we should read it as a, an episode where Satan comes and presents an idea, an option, a temptation to Judas, and then Judas says, let's do it. Instead of resisting like Christ did, he says, come on in, lead the way, let's go. Satan didn't force Judas to do anything against his will. Judas welcomes him in, and Satan comes in, and he follows him to betray Christ instead of resisting Satan the way Christ did. You got to remember, Judas was in cahoots with Satan all along. He was a thief, stealing John 6 even says this. Jesus says this about his disciples in John 6. He says, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So Satan entered Judas, but it was still Judas all along. Oh, how often I've heard the voice of the tempter in my ear. Nevertheless, it is always I who sins. We are the one that does that part. He puts the rock in my hand, but I throw it at my enemy. He shows me the drops wallet, but I put it in my pocket. He presents an idea, an opportunity, a situation, and I am the one that follows through with the sin. We often make Satan too big in our lives. And we think everything bad we did is his fault. You know, the devil made me do it. That is terrible theology. He doesn't make you do anything against your will. He is a terrible deceiver, a powerful tempter, but nothing else. We can't take ourselves out of that equation. He doesn't sin for you. That's your contribution. Okay, so the first one, Judas is a sinner. The second one, the enticement of Satan. And the third reason that Judas betrayed Christ is because of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God means that God is our sovereign, our ruler, our king, and that his sovereignty means that he is in the authority over all the world, over everything, and that ultimately his purposes will come to pass because he is sovereign. And we can never forget that God's plan was for Jesus to die for our sins from before the foundations of all creation. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something that we just filled the gap with. It was the plan all along. God had forethought foreknowledge that he was going to create everything. He's going to create humanity. Humanity is going to fall away and sin. He's going to come into creation and die for our sins so that we could be reunited with him all for the rightful glorification of himself. That was the plan all along. And we know that in part because through the life of Christ, Hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the life of Christ. And today's verse is actually one of those examples. We see in Psalm 41, it says this, uh, it prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by a close friend. It says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And in John 13, Jesus says that that psalm is about Judas. He ascribes it to Judas. It's part of God's sovereign plan. We already knew it was coming. And then the fact that Jesus would be betrayed for money is prophesied about in Zechariah 11, where it says that someone would pay 30 pieces of silver for him, and then the betrayer would throw those 30 pieces of silver back in the temple door, and that is exactly what Judas does in the book of Matthew. And I just think how amazing it is that we know 
that, that the Old Testament describes these events in such detail hundreds of years before it happens, and then hundreds of years later, it just happens in that same exact way. And I just think that's an amazing testament to how the Scripture is the Word of God, that it is always proven true. It always is. So those are the three reasons that Judas betrayed Christ. Judas's sin, the enticement of Satan, and God's sovereign plan, God's sovereignty. You know, I think there's also some important lessons that we can learn from the life of Judas for our own walk with Christ. Uh, and the first one I want to examine is the danger of coming to church without coming to Christ. So think of it like this. Judas went to the best church ever, right? Jesus was his pastor. Everyone else in his church was literally one of the disciples, right? He was in the right crowd. He heard sermon after sermon after sermon, always perfect sermons, never a drop of bad theology, never a poorly timed dad joke that distracts from the main point, always the perfect balance of explanation and application. His church was the perfect balance of service and learning, the perfect mixture of evangelism and discipleship. His church was never sidetracked by some side issue, even though everyone kept telling his pastor he was doing it the wrong way. No, his church stayed focused. It was a good church. It was the best church. That was Judas's church. It was a church that was alive with prayer, a church that knew the power of God, not just the words of men, but the power of God, and they saw it active, bold-faced every day. That was Judas's church. It was a church that loved justice, loved mercy, loved holiness and righteousness. It was a church made of people that were genuinely reborn in the Spirit and strived to live holy lives, to spread the gospel. That was Judas's church. It was a good church. You think your church attendance is good when you serve in one service, come to the next, and then go to house group during the week. Judas lived at church. He lived with his pastor. He had better church attendance than you. That's Judas's church. I wish I went to Judas's church. Because the bottom line is that Judas went to church, but he never came to Christ. I think there's a danger in thinking that our church attendance counts for something. That the church we affiliate with gives us credit for something. That the authors we read give us credit for something. The podcasts we live, listen to give us credit for something. There's a danger in that. You know, hopefully, you're like me and you look for good sources, a good church with solid theology and a church that knows that it's not perfect, but it's striving to grow in holiness and in love. And it's a church that's dependent on prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead it forward. And a church that knows that it's not just our job to teach the, the nations to follow Christ, but also to do everything that he has commanded. Hopefully you look for a good church like that, but at some point we have to realize that some of us are churchgoers and not Christians. Even Judas's church had that. Even Jesus as the pastor, his church had that. Some people in this room, guaranteed, are churchgoers but are not Christians. Attending church and being part of the body of Christ are two different things. And don't get me wrong here, Hebrews 10 teaches that we should not neglect coming together as a body. Going to church is very important. I'm not saying don't go to church. It's extremely important. But do not confuse your physical presence in the building with your spiritual presence with Christ. That's a danger. Judas didn't learn that lesson. The next one I want to look at is the danger of having friends 
but not fellowship. Jesus, when he predicted that one of his disciples was going to uh, betray him, all of the disciples were just flabbergasted. They just looked at him like, what are you talking about? One of us? Who? Who is it? Right? None of them were like, Judas, you know. I bet it's Judas. He wears socks with his sandals. It's got to be that guy. (laughs) Judas. No, they were friends. You know, they trusted each other. They believed in each other, supported each other, spent all day with each other. They were great friends. Having friends at church is really good and important, and we really hope you find deep, lasting friendships at church. But it is not the same as fellowship. It's not the same. Fellowship implies that there's something outside of your friendships, outside of your relationship, that gives that relationship a purpose, a meaning, some strength, some direction. Think of like fellow baseball players, fellow teammates, right? They have a mission outside of their friendship, winning the game, that gives their friendship a purpose, makes it strong, so that even when there's contention, you're still on the team. You still focus on that mission, right? Think of fellow soldiers. You don't introduce them, this is my friend soldier, right? No, this is my fellow soldier. We have a mission. That's what we're focused on. That's why we are together, right? Think of the fellowship of the ring from Lord of the Rings. Were they friends? Not always, but they had a mission, and that fellowship is what kept them together. So friendship and fellowship are not always the same thing. Fellowship gives friendship meaning and purpose, and some of us go to our house group, go to our small group, Come to church and serve, and we're making great friends. And that's awesome. Please do that. But as soon as it's not comfortable or totally natural or easy or we have some kind of conflict, we jump ship and go to some other church. Being in Christian fellowship is not something we do just because it's fun. If that's why you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. We do Christian fellowship because it is so important to have each other. We need each other to be the body of Christ. We need each other. There are no lone wolf Christians. It doesn't work that way. So ask yourself this question. Are you friends with these people? Do you hang out with these people just because you have the same hobbies and interests and you like their temperament and you get along? That's okay. Or do you hang out with these people because you're rowing in the same eternal direction? Because you have the same life purpose. You've committed your lives to the same thing. Because you treasure the same thing in your hearts as them with your entire being. Do you have the same Holy Spirit alive in you that's alive in them? Are they trying to glorify God not just with their life, but with your life also by speaking truth into you even when it's difficult? Because that's fellowship, and that's different than friendship. Judas didn't treasure Jesus in his heart the same way the other 11 did. He did not have the same fellowship, the same mission that the other 11 did. Judas never joined their fellowship, even though he might have been their friend. We just talked last week, you might remember if you're here, about the ending of Romans chapter 8. And we talked about how it teaches that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And sometimes when we talk about that, the natural question comes up, well, what about people that leave the church? They were Christians for a long, they came to church, they loved it there. Everyone was their friend. It was wonderful. But then they left. It's a great question. Judas is a prime example of that. And I think... For a very clear answer to that question, we can go to 1 John 2.19. It says this, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 
But people that walk away from the Christian life, like Judas did, they may have had great friends and loved the church, loved being at the church. The messages are so expiring. The music is so wonderful. The lights are so bright. The coffee is so good. But they had not joined the fellowship. Pray they do. There's still a chance if you know someone. They still might. But at this point, like Judas, they had not joined the fellowship. Okay, let's go to the third one. The third one is the danger of wanting the kingdom, but not the king. Now, I can assure you that Judas, like any good first century Jew, wanted the Messiah to come more than anything. He wanted this Jewish king to come and reestablish the nation of Israel and get rid of all those nasty Romans. And he wanted it so bad. But I think he was only in it for what he could get out of it. Remember, he was a thief the whole time, taking what he wanted. And so he comes to this Messiah guy, Jesus, and his question is, what can this guy do for me? And when he saw the opportunity to make 30 pieces of silver off selling them, he took it because that's what he could get out of it. And I think that one of the worst things we can do as Christians is try to convince people to want to go to heaven because heaven is so cool, right? There's no sadness. There's no pain or suffering. All your friends are going to be there. You can ice fish all summer if you want. The Vikings never lose or whatever your thing is. That's what happens in heaven. If you want to go to heaven because heaven is awesome, you have a huge problem. Heaven is only awesome because that's where God is. That's what makes heaven awesome. Ask yourself a few questions. Would you want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? That's a question. What are you looking, more forward, uh, looking forward to more, heaven or God? These are questions Judas should have asked himself. So we should never approach this king of ours, King Jesus, with this idea of what can he do for us. That's what Judas did. What we need to do is approach this king with this truth in our hearts and in our minds that our entire created purpose is to enjoy and glorify him, the king. And the best thing he can do for us and give to us is let us live out that created purpose of enjoying and glorifying him. He has to be our desire. Him, Jesus himself, has to be what you treasure. Not the effects of Jesus, not the benefits of Jesus, but Jesus himself, Christ himself. He is the treasure, the king, not the kingdom. I think I'm, I'm convinced at this point that the more you go on through life being saved by Christ, the less you focus on being saved and the more you just focus on Christ. And that's the difference. And that's going to bring us actually to our fourth thing that I want to learn from the life of Judas today uh, is the danger of the sinner's belief without the sinner's repentance. Now, repentance is not just feeling sorry for the bad things we've done. Repentance is that you completely reorient your life from yourself and your sin and on to Christ at whatever cost, whatever the cost. That's repentance. You see, I think Judas believed in Jesus. He believed he existed, obviously. He saw him every day. He was right there. But not just that he existed. He saw his miracles with his own eyes every day. You know, he knew the character of Jesus was loving and just and merciful and holy. He saw Jesus bring people back from the dead. He saw it. He saw Jesus forgive sinner after sinner after sinner. He saw Jesus calm storms with just his words. 
So I think Judas believed in Jesus. What I think he lacked was that he didn't repent of his sins to Jesus. He didn't bring his sin to Jesus. I think that's different. And I think the closest we get to that, though, is in Matthew chapter 27. It says this. Let's look at it. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. So it says he was remorseful. He was sad. He recognized his sin. He felt bad about it. But he didn't repent and come back to Christ. Instead, he ran in his shame. It blows my mind that he had seen Jesus forgive sinner after sinner after sinner, the worst people. And then the one time he needs it more than anything, he refuses to go to the one place he can get it. Though he had seen it, he believed it, but he never did it. And what's more is that had he done that, had he gone to Christ with this after this thing had done, after he was feeling remorseful, he knew it was bad, had he gone to Jesus and repented, Jesus would have even forgiven him his betrayal. Absolutely. Look at Peter. Peter was like, I don't even know that Jesus guy when Jesus was getting crucified. Peter pretended not to know him, and yet Peter was the rock of the church. He was restored. Judas could have been restored too. Judas could have been forgiven, could have been brought back in and restored to the 12. But he didn't because he didn't come back to Christ. He didn't repent to Christ. He didn't take his sin and lay it at the feet of Christ and say, I depend on you. Instead, he took that and he ran with it and he chose to be humiliated instead of humble. I think the truth of that is that God loves us so much. He loves you so much that if you betrayed him to the cross, he would have forgiven you if you brought it back to him. If you betrayed him with your whole life, he would still forgive you if you come to him, believe in him in your head, yes, sure, but also repent in your heart. Reorient your life away from that and toward him completely as your treasured king. Judas could have done that. Judas could have been forgiven, but he did not. And that is the great tragedy of Judas of Iscariot. He was, it's not that he betrayed Christ. The great tragedy of Judas is that he didn't come back to Christ after he betrayed him. Because that would have been a very different story. And so those are the four lessons that uh, we're going to learn today from the life of Judas. And I think it's something we can all consider as a church. Uh, that the best church ever, right? Jesus is the pastor. The 12 disciples, even they had people in it that looked Christian that needed to repent. Even they had people in it that struggled. So if that church did, our church does. There's guaranteed people in this room that are in the same place as Judas. I don't think me and David are as good as pastors as Jesus was. And I think we have to honestly look at ourselves and think about that. Now, this passage teaches that there is a difference between believing something in your mind and actually believing it with your whole life, with your heart, repenting, depending on it. 
There's so many people that can say in their minds, yeah, I think Jesus died on the cross. Sure, I believe that, but that kind of belief didn't save Judas. He knew it firsthand. He knew it, and it didn't save him. That's not the kind of belief we're talking about when we say believe in Christ. We mean the belief that leads to faith that produces repentance that saves you because now you depend on Christ for everything. It's the faith that says, I believe you died for my sins and I leave my old life behind and I treasure you, Jesus, as the king of my life, all of my life, above everything else. That's what I mean. Judas didn't do that. Judas didn't do that. And there's some people in our church that think they're Christians, that say they're Christians, that go with the church, that have friends in the church, but they do not do that. Some of you are churchgoers, but not Christians. And we have to be honest about that, or we're going to be counted in the same number as Judas. And I don't want that for any of you. I want you to come to Christ, not just to church. I want you to be in the same fellowship, not just friends with these people. I want you to worship the king and not just hope for the kingdom. And I want you to repent in your heart, not just believe in your head. That's what I think we need to do. We got to be honest about that. Judas wasn't honest, and he could have every step of the way. So what I want to do right now is for us all to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. And I want to pray. So pray with me. And let's ask the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would come into this room and convict us of our sin. Help show us where we have been tricking ourselves, where we've been lying to ourselves, and where we've been trying to hide from you. I pray that people in this room, that I know your name. Pastor David knows your name, and you know all these people. If that is you, and you're worried about what your friends will think, Holy Spirit, I ask you remind them, you remind this church that heaven rejoices more over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous people that do not repent. Father, we praise your name. We want to glorify you. And so I just ask all of you in this room, if you're in that boat, we want to walk with you. We want to celebrate with heaven today. So if you are in that boat, and you are so far counted with Judas and want to be counted with the other 11 instead, to worship the king instead of just the kingdom, to be in the fellowship and not just friends, to come to Christ and not just church, today's the day you can do that. You can begin that walk right now. You can take your sin, lay it at the feet of Christ, and say, Christ, I believe you died for me. I am turning from my life of sin, and I want to follow you with everything in me. If that's what you want to do right now, I'm going to ask that you just stand up so that we know, like we're saying, now's the time, today's the day. If you're on that edge, if you're unsure, Judas might have felt sure, but he was unsure. He knew it. God knew it. Christ knew it. If you're on that edge, take the step. Stand up. All right. All right, no one, that's okay. So let me join you all in prayer. Father, we know that you are a God that knows our hearts. Uh, we know that you're a God of truth. Uh, and you're also a God that helps us. 
I know that you are a patient God as well. And so I ask that you would help us to be honest as a church, to be faithful as a church, and just to celebrate any time your gospel is accepted into someone's life, that you call someone into your family, God, I ask that we praise your name. I praise your name for the people here that have been reborn, brought from death to life. This is a room filled with people that love your name, Father. And I thank you for them. I say you would be with us as we praise you through this last song. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.